First of all, uh, thanks so much for taking the time, Tommy. No problem. That's great. Thank you, yeah. Uh, this is just like to document a few jazz guitars that mm -hmm. live around Ireland, mm -hmm. uh, Dublin in, in particular for the mm -hmm. moment. And you are one of the like people who are the longest around and the mm -hmm. most important mm -hmm. in that. And that. Yeah, maybe that's a pity. I'm the longest <laughs> around, yeah. But that, that's the situation at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Good. I just wanted to start quickly where, where you, from where you were life with music kind of started. I, mm -hmm. I read up on your page, you you originally born in Derry. Mm -hmm. Correct, yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it says like your career musically started in the late 70s. Mm -hmm. With yeah. like, it quickly goes into with lessons from Louis Stewart. Yes, I got about six lessons from Louis Stewart. Um, that was interesting. Interesting how it started. I remember my sister brought me down to Rogers and Keys, Kelly's of the Keys, the first time Louis, I saw Louis playing, you know. But the interesting thing, I wasn't really interested in jazz, but he was playing a song by the Monkees, which was a popular, uh, the songs were quite popular at the time, you know, Take the Last Train to Clarksville. And he had this arrangement of it, you know, and of course that was very impressive to me, especially when it wasn't a jazz tune as such, he did an arrangement. Found it afterwards, it was from a record called White Rabbit by George Benson. And he'd taken it, you know, he just did the arrangement. So that was quite impressive, just hearing that. And then I thought, okay, so I asked him for lessons. When you were saying you weren't necessarily interested in, in jazz when you met him first? No, I wasn't. What there. were you listening to? Oh, well, I was listening to other kinds. I grew up listening to the Beatles. I loved the Beatles and Hendrix, of course. Any guitar player, Cream, uh, groups like that. And Derry, the time when I grew up, there was a lot of trouble. It was the troubles in Derry and all that, you know. And there were people that were playing that kind of, uh, I suppose they saw Hendrix's group as kind of, revolutionary or you know sort of against anything that was considered establishment or anti-establishment you know so we were all part of that i think the jazz i heard jazz in my brothers had a collection of duke, duke ellington you know and i was listening more to the hollies the cream and all that but he, he would uh, play bach and he'd play a bit of this jazz you know and i thought it was terrible stuff at the time you know but my mother um i remember I, the first my my other brother he brought a record of wes montgomery 
and I, I still have it, the cover to this day, you know, uh, which was a compilation cover of Wes Montgomery, and it was called Go. I mean, it had nothing to do with the music, and it shows you this girl advertising these jeans at the time for the 1950s, 60s, you know. But it was a compilation of all, and he was playing bass guitar on one of the cracks, so you could imagine it was just one of his publicity songs. Because he did play these kind of popular, the day in the life afterwards, Beatles songs, so that's part of that, you know. So gradually getting into hearing and coming back to listen to some jazz, yeah. Because prior to that, I was in the seminary, you know. Oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine, yeah. It was interesting in point of view of uh, music from uh, Gregorian chant and things like that that you heard well, you know. But, um, and I didn't really play the guitar, you know. Uh, you played a couple of chords, like learning a couple of Beatles songs, however. There wasn't really... Um, uh, learning how to improvise and things like that. The interesting thing about maybe the seminary, you did hear a lot of church music and Gregorian chants, and that, that's sort of a, that was interesting, you know, because uh, sometimes you, you can, uh, you know, like people like Debussy used a lot of those, when they were trying to write something original, they went back to these older, olden styles, and then the, you heard those kind of modes, and of course, jazz musicians used those as well, you know, so some of it was kind of, Latently, there at the back of my mind, you know. Interesting, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, and even just before that, how did you pick up the guitar in the first place? Was someone in your family playing? Or? Um, my brother played, yeah, and I got into trouble once because he had bought a guitar for Christmas and I could try to play it, and he found out there was a string missing or something happened uh, and accused me because uh, there were eight of us in the family. So, of course, I was blamed, and uh, you know, he give me a terrible hiding at that time, so I decided I wouldn't touch that again. <laughs> I'd turn my mind to other more... Sports, for example, I used to play a bit of football and all that, yeah. So it wasn't, in a sense, a non... I didn't come from a non-musical um, environment. There were examples of my sister, my brother, taking piano lessons, you know. I never did. It's funny, the, the last, I was the youngest, and half of them were all passed away by now. And so the one person who still well, continued music myself and they all gave it up you know and they got official lessons I didn't you know except from Louis I did um, I did when I came to Dublin Ironwood and I did some um, I did a diploma just in harmony classical harmony with Walter Beckett who was a great teacher uh, but it was just box music you know chorale things like that just classical yeah Oh, so when you at the time when you said you didn't have as a child formal lessons yeah. as such only your some of your siblings uh, when you met up for Louis for those yeah. first couple of lessons, yeah. did how was that? Because he like a jazz yeah, guitarist playing. Yeah. And, and he you said play from... for me, and I said I couldn't. I, I I sang by the time I get to Phoenix, you know, <laughs> and he did an arrangement of that for me. He said, oh, he said, okay, uh, that was interesting. Yeah, I could imagine. I'm the time I get, and he said, oh, oh. and. Uh, and uh, he, I still have it written out somewhere where he did the arrangement. He wrote, actually, it's unusual in that he would write it out, you know, very, very blandly. You know, he'd like the notes, blah, blah, blah. And then he'd play the chords, you know. And uh, <clears throat> I kept that. It was a great souvenir. And I still have it, actually, his arrangement of that, yeah. That's, that's phenomenal. Yeah. And yeah. did you, obviously, well, you kind of answered the next question. I was wondering... Looking back, did you did you get a lot out of those six lessons, or was it maybe too far, or was he? No, uh, I think the it was interesting because that's the time when I probably getting married. I was more yeah sorry, and uh, I think it was nearly getting divorced because any time he played, I would hang out and and he would say, "Oh, good lord, you're not going to hear him again tonight." But um, and it, it generally what happened where if I had a class, I would pinpoint some things he played. 
and I would remember. <clears throat> it was only later when I got a Sony Walkman, I decided to record him without him knowing about it. Just, you see, you know. But um, <laughs> um, I, wasn't cu I wasn't smart enough at the time, however. And in that case, I would say to him, oh, you played this such and such, you know, and he would try to, if I got the song, it would be hard. So, so if he played the Days of Wine and Roses, a song around, I'd say, you played something there, what was it? And then he would, oh, and then he would do his own version. And while we were there, it would come up, you know. I remember a very good class. He, um, I was interested in um, Around Midnight by Theoloni Smoke, and he did an arrangement of that for me for the guitar, you know. So I learned chordal melody. I didn't really learn a lot about improvising, you know, because I, I felt um, it was the learning the sound of jazz chords and the voicings that I was... That's, because when you do, as you know yourself, if you come from a rock tradition, you know, they're basically majors, which are sound great, you know. And all those extension chords, you know, just to hear them and to get your ear to hear them, and that was the thing that, that was I was really checking out with Louis. And he was... It was great to have somebody there actually playing it and you could hear it and, and also the way he used them, you know. So he was a phenomenal uh, player at that time because there was nobody of that kind of uh, vintage and, um, <clears throat> and Friars could play so well that music at the time. There were a couple of pianos. Jim Doherty played and Old Keelan played and a few people. John Wadham. I, John Wadham probably was my greater influence than Louis when I started to play because I had to learn play in a group. Louis was great at learning guitar, you know, jazz guitar, yeah, if you like, yeah. That's, yeah, John Bonham is actually on this list as well. All oh, right, okay, yeah. Question, yeah, so yeah. We, we get to that. Yeah, quite second. no problem, yeah. yeah. Good, the next two things I have written down is like, um, it's from your website as well, a, a bit of research, is like, there was two bands named, um, one of them was called uh, Jump, and yeah. one of them was called None. Yeah. Um, kind of two early, early um, bands of yours yeah. where you were involved, and both of them had kind of, like now fusion is kind of a mark for yeah, something else yeah, it is, but yeah. it, they were both fusing different elements of music yeah, than yeah, jazz yeah uh, none was with Brian Dunning well, he, uh, he was uh, flute player still playing today you know so that was very much um, jazz it was Irish music and uh, it went well you know we played gigs and it was popular and, um, and jump was more a fusion rock jazz rock you know Mike Nolan was that we used to play on a Monday I remember correctly, in Slattery's. Slattery's was a great place because Lou used to play on a Wednesday or something. And then upstairs, the big band of uh, Rock Fox used to play Duke Ellington. And then on a Friday, you had, I think, an old Keelahan, you know, so it was like four or five days of jazz, you know. And then upstairs, when the jazz was known, you had groups like Planksty, good kind of Irish bands at the time, you know, so it was a place to be. It was a terrible place, you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, you could hear very good music. The next thing I have listened to, uh written down here was uh, a person you already mentioned, John Wadham, in your first trio with him and Ronan Yes. Bill, or maybe not the first trio, but the first big... Yep, the, probably the best, be yeah, the trio that we were playing more regularly, you know, was with uh, John Wadham, and, and uh, I, well, of course, went to hear him play, because he was a kind of legend, even, um, and, of course, living around here, he lived in Dockley as well, so I used to see him as well, you know, but his sight coming along with the cigar and the pipe or whatever, you know. So he was an impressive uh, character, and then hear him play. And then we got this, um, it was Ronan Guilford, he was young at the time, playing bass, and we started a trio. The unfortunate thing, I think, because we started playing on a Sunday, and the time we could play in the Focus, Louis Stewart had, had unfortunately, well, he had a, a gig at the same time, so we all, it was a choice of whether um, people would come to hear us or... And most, of course, they all went to hear Louis Stewart. 
uh, the, th- the nice thing about the Focus Theatre was that it was a sit-down, it wasn't a pub, and it was a theatre. And even though we just got a couple of people, it was interesting because we built up the trio then. I started to uh, write a couple of tunes. Ronan wrote, started to write. He was, that's where he started becoming a composer as well there, you know. And um, the WAD was great. We called him the WAD because his time field was so good. And I think there, uh, from the point of view, having Louis teaching us, teaching me, sorry, just guitar voicings and teaching the jazz guitar. Johnny really taught me how to play in a group setting, you know, how to swing, how to get a sense of a good swing and things like that. And also form was very important. You know, if you if you miss the bridge in a tune, you know, you got this terrible uh, you look of like an <laughs> that you just had it uh, almost like was you were just writing, was he going to speak to me after the gig, you know, and he might turn around and say, I'd had its moments, Dad, especially the last one, as if to say, you know, you played a lot of, you know, before that or whatever. But uh, he was greatly instrumental in my career as just playing the music, yeah, John Wadham, I have to say. Yeah. Did you have, with that trio, did you have any... A trio you you got inspiration from particular or like something we, we want to try to do what they're doing or was it none of this that's interesting I, yeah i don't know i i'm looking back on it now i would probably think that no i didn't there wasn't it was later um of course uh, i think the first was just playing we were just trying to understand was doing small little arrangements not really um we, we did rehearse up in johnny's he was great johnny's house and that was great uh, I was still teaching full-time English literature. Ronan was uh, working at Delicatessen, you know, a shop, you know. So I'm quite, I mean, John was free. John, of course, he was a professional, worked in RT and all, you know. Um, I, think, I think the formation of saying we're basing our trio on another great trio or guitar trio, you know, uh, no, that came for me, I think, when I met John Abercrombie, or at least uh, when I started becoming... Uh, more interested on, if you like, guitar players who weren't strictly jazz guitar players, you know. Uh, I mean, in the tradition of Wes Montgomery, Talfar, Joe Pass, those particular guitar players. Guitar players who were coming from rock, maybe, like Abercrombie, mm-hmm. Schofield, or people like that then. And especially, I have to say, there was a period that I was really into John McLaughlin. And that's that came later, you know. That whole idea... Just pre Mahavishnu, you know, uh, extrapolation and playing the acoustic. You know, um, I really got into that, you know, and I wasn't even aware how difficult it was to play an odd meter. So I just listened to it, and you know, you picked it up at the end because you this is pre like you know, all YouTube clips and, and you can checking it out or people doing transcription and all. My transcriptions were just playing the thing over and over again with um, an awful in an awful machine, you know, things like that. Did, they did. That's what I was saying to my own students today. It did help your um, your ear. You developed a great ear, and it also playing with those. There was no music. You didn't produce a piece of music on the stand playing with John Wadham or anything. So you had to memorize a lot of standards. You also had to play in such a way that um, it was just the whole format of you had to nail the changes. If you, that wasn't right, you know. Um, you just, nobody asked you again to play. It was as bad as that. It, the 70s, yeah, because there was kind of, probably this is true and I hope it's not, there was kind of a monopoly of the jazz scene, you know, and I suppose if you had somebody that caliber, Louis, then nobody wanted to hear anybody else. And uh, there were guys coming up, I was a little bit older, it was Dave O'Reilly, the, the younger Hugh Buckley and all that, who used to come to me. Uh, you know, we were, um, we were all at the... Uh, 
listening to Louis and um, just being totally influenced because here was somebody you could hear live as opposed to listening to records. And uh, anybody who was promoting the music, they were, you, they were immediately compared to Louis, you know. And so that was, that was unhealthy, I thought, at the time. However, um, I, I stayed in that. And I think the first time I moved to a place, or I played in Portugal, uh, I think that was the first time I realized they didn't know Louis Stewart over there. So then I started developing at least what I thought was an individual style. On my own, then, yeah, yeah. Okay, because first time when you were away, and yeah, he wasn't there as a big reference. He wasn't a big reference or a comparison between that. You know, it was an Irish guy brought me over, Brian Brian Trench. He was a a critic at the time, just great. McGill or one of those magazines, and he says, "I know this guy Eduardo, and you should play." You know, he's got a lovely club, and and I still go by. I mean, I've been there. I was there last year again, so I kept that contact. You know. Used to say sometimes if I did played in Arthur's, you know, we had only so many people. Whereas if I played in Portugal, it would be packed. <laughs> they sort of knew me better out there. But that's changing, you know. But I think the movement towards learning or developing your own individual voice and guitar started when I I I, I just moved out of Ireland to you know where people didn't judge you, uh, in comparison with somebody else. You know, you got your own yeah. developing your own. Even though it wasn't necessarily, you know, um, you know, an amazing earthquake of just, you know, a new style completely, you know, you, you, you just were trying to, even playing standards, even just to play them a different reharmonizing or playing different arrangements and things like that. And it was only later when I heard, as I say, people like Abercrombie and all that, there was just, uh, they were coming from, their music was um, like me, CM, Pat Metheny, just an opening up of different ways of playing the music. Yeah. How did you, how did you get, to, you mentioned him twice now, how did you get to meet uh, John Abercrombie? John came to the school, uh, it was actually the start of, uh, yeah, I think it was 83, 84, Alan Smith put on uh, Jazz in the Terrace. Now, it wasn't Abercrombie, but it was the beginning of bringing, uh, if you like, it was George Coleman and people like that, Tommy Flanagan, and they would invariably come and play, play, play with us, which was great, but also teach, you know, begin to teach. And then the next time, Alan, um, and I think it was the next year, year after, uh, there was, uh, it was headed somewhere like John Abercrombie in Ireland, where he played with, he played with Richie Buckley, I played duet with him, and he came and taught in the school, and he played with Ronan as well, you know, so, uh, and um, that, the, the school was open to any guitar player, Luke Hugh was there a lot, and Abercrombie, uh, that's how I met him, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And from just what you were touch, uh, touching on there before, it's a very interesting kind of concept of the. I think there's a Pat Metheny quote from when he was young. He tried to play like Wes Montgomery yeah. a lot, yeah. and then yeah. he, he got given out yeah. for doing that. Yeah. Um, and you said very similar. As soon as soon as you moved out, or moved somewhere else, not mm. not moved, but been somewhere else, yeah. and the reference wasn't there. Yeah. There was a bit of a change in your mm. own playing. Mm. How do you how do you communicate that to your students? Do you try to um, yeah. bring them towards their own style, but still yeah. learn? The well, you know, you, you you have to influence. You know, influence has always been for very part of well, it's part of everybody. No matter if you're a writer or any art form, you're influenced by tradition, and by tradition means that learning tradition first in order to alter it. I mean, if you don't know the tradition, say somebody you're saying, oh, well, I'm playing, you know, um, in the style of Ornette, that means you've at least you've studied Ornette, you know. But then you get students say they don't even know who John Coltrane is. Well, because maybe where the whatever 
if they were born somewhere, you know. Um, but if they're playing the jazz, when we call it jazz music, I think, uh, I think the great players have studied the great tradition, you know. But and and as bec- I think because the more they, if they are more profound in understanding the tradition, they know how to break away from it. You know, it's been done before very well. So, for example, you get a young guitar player and he's saying, you know, I'm just, I want to play like Charlie Parker. Fine. But you will say, well, you know, when you listen to the great guitars, and even Tal Farrell, all those Jimmy Rainey, he did it so well, you know, and they say, well, but try to find your own style. And then this is the whole thing about, you know, having an individual voice. Some people prefer to stay. Don't get me wrong. I mean, uh, stay very solidly in the tradition, you know. I mean, Louis would never, uh, obviously, decide to use light gate strings or bend strings the way as like even contemporaries of him, like Jim Hall, might do. But then Jim Hall was a much more open spirit in the music, so it's got to do with character, it's got to do with personality, and that's it. So people decide to stay in, people decide to go out. You know, it's a harder. It's maybe, I mean, you know, the kind of music playing today. I mean, it's the greatest hybrid form of music today in jazz because it brings in everything. Uh, it doesn't, you can have hip hop, you can have whatever, you know. So it's always been that movement. Maybe that's what keeps it going. Maybe that keeps it, you know. I would be of the opinion that you do have to inject some new stuff into an old form in order to make it survive against all odds, you know. Then we move on from there to something I asked Hugh Buckley um, when I did an mm. episode with him. And it was, for, for me as someone who comes, from a different country, I'm very much interested in the history of, of Dublin or of Ireland. Mm. Um, how would you, how did you find the jazz scene when you first entered it, when you said you had like your Sunday gig and Louis was kind of the yes, guy? Yes, yeah. How, how would you compare that to what it become now? Oh yeah, well it's much better, it's healthier now, you know, in terms of there are more places to play. Um, the younger students, um, I suppose that they could be, uh, they can find places to play, you have all the whole thing, you know, about Facebook, the possibility of uh, uh, information is just already available for that, you know. Uh, in the 70s, there were only a couple, I mean, there were slatteries, basically. Now, I know there's Arthur's now, but I mean, if you, if, you, if Arthur doesn't work, I think you can always um, hire a place or take on board the possibility if you think your music, I mean, you've got a group, you'll find a place to play, you know. And people will come out, people want to hear um it's just a more healthier scene in terms of the monopoly of the music in the 70s has kind of disappeared. Uh, maybe because, again, those older guys were, I won't say use the word scared, but maybe just they like to feel that um, they, this is, was their, I think they were the, maybe the, the founders are the leaders in that kind of field, and then they felt that their position uh, it was insoluble and that they, you know, they didn't want anybody encroaching on there, you know. So any new star would come along, they'd be wary of, mm, is he a piano player or a guitar player? No. Louis never felt that. And maybe it's because he probably didn't think there was anybody that hit, you know, or that was fair enough. Maybe all their bass players and, and uh, piano players and all that, they might have felt a little bit, uh, you know, covetous of their own position. Uh, I'm the star here, you know and were not as willing to open up uh, channels of communication with the lesser-known uh, musicians, you know. But I have to say in favour of Louis, at least he, he taught students, which is always great. And John Wadham did that as well. I mean, Connor, Stephen Q, all the great drummers that, you know, of that generation were all taught by John Wadham, you know. And irrespective, or irrespective of the, his method of teaching, which would be, you know, could be questionable in any sense, even Louis questionable. In any, he, 
he would, you would never call him a teacher as such, you know, he just said, that's the way I do it, that was it, take it or leave it, you know. But at least you were exposed in, on a one-to-one basis, which was amazing uh, at that time, because there was nothing for you. Uh, in, it was a revelation through records. That was the only other possibility to learn the stuff, you know. So, however, I think it's much healthier now, to answer your question, and uh, students are much more aware, uh, or people playing the music like yourself, you know, they're much more aware of how to deal with the situation. I think, I think the other aspect, too, back in the 70s, if you were married, had a family, or, I mean, the idea of being a jazz musician was just one of these, uh, you know, you were a, a hobo from nowhere, you didn't have any existence, and, you know, you had no identity in a way. This music was minority, it was also looked down as in form of the kind of the de- Catholic country, the devil's music and all that, such as playing those awful flat five chords, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, so, I mean, it was that kind of situation, you know, and if you were good, I mean, it was amazing, it was after the 80s, or when I started moving, I had a French group then, in the 80s, you know, when Cork started, I played with Lee Cohn and some people like that, and all of a sudden you realise, wow, I mean, these, they don't see it like that at all. You hear you're coming from a totally, sort of, almost like an entrenched uh, society saying, you know, this is the devil's music, be careful, you know. And if you, if, you, if you were trying to play professionally, if you wanted to buy a house, you couldn't because you, you weren't, uh, you couldn't get a mortgage because that kind of work is not to say. All that, now that's all changed, and for the better. Yeah, <laughs> and I think so. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, speaking of students, you, you said students there. Um, I, I was wondering if the lessons like you got from Louis Stewart and maybe from John Wadham on the bandstand, yeah. did that influence your own style of teaching? Because in in my experience, when I had lessons with you, I was I came from Germany and yeah. I came very much from the book. Yeah. Like I would know a chord and I could yeah. tell you a song, but yeah. the lesson with you was always with a guitar in hand and it was like let's play that tune. Yeah. And then I it didn't sound good. Like when I played it, and, mm. but it was a really good experience because it was always about let's actually do so, like let's yeah. play the music. Yeah, like, in a way. yeah. Well, that's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, now, that's a great thing about. Uh, I mean, even with Louis, he mightn't be able to explain things, you know. But when you hear him play it, you know, and if you record it and things like that, you know, um, then th- th- that's the th- that's for me that's something that stuck with you because the sound you heard the sound of the music, you know, because that's what it is. I mean, and remember when you're talking about the seventies, the early well around that period, uh, jazz music was ear music. Um, jazz music was something that you you could hear and play it up, and you had to be very conscious of that on the stage because if things happened and you weren't hearing it, you know. Um, you weren't asked back, <laughs> not as bad as that, but you know, uh, the good uh, you know, and things, and that's the way it happened, you know. Uh, did you hear what I played there? And that's right. By playing it, that that taught me. You, and in any playing situation, it could be a different situation in terms of what happened, or you play something differently, and all that. Did you hear it? Did you react to it? And I find that too with people like Julie Cons. You know, you had to be able to just hear instinctively what happened, spontaneously on the spot, and that was very hard. How to teach that? It's very difficult, but you what you do, the more you play with it, at least you're aware of it more, and that's all in terms. And I, that's what was my one of my methods of teaching it. Yeah, mm. do you think the students you had, um, like you were teaching obviously a long time in New Park, still now in in DCU, did did uh, did students change? Did you see it change in students over the years? You know, were they more interested in different things back then, or were they learning different towards now? I think the I think they're more exposed. I think the older students I had were, um, they, they were kind of uniformly wanted to go one way. You know, they just wanted to learn how to play standards well or jazz music and really play through the changing. You know? yeah, that's there's more. They're now more exposed to different ways of doing this. 
a different style. Stylistically, that's one thing. Um, and then um, if, you, if you think about harmonically jazz music and all that, I mean, it has a lot. And I think that if they are more aware of what's happening out there, out there you know, what's happening, the new groups and what the way they're doing, dealing with music. I suppose in the 70s it was, you know, you... If you had people like Abercrombie and Pat Metheny, or maybe or even Bill Frizzell, people like that, they were still quite young. And if you just talk about jazz guitar, I'm talking, I'm not even talking about other, uh, you know, great uh, jazz musicians. And I think then it's when they really consolidated their style, you know, and realized then from there. Their style came like Rosenwinkel. You had the new guys coming after that, you know. So it was much more. I suppose, in a way, um, going one way in the seventies, and now there are different, all come different multi ways of trying to play this this music now, and that's 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 that that's there from now in many ways, you know. And I think they're more exposed to that, and they'd like to play that way. One of the big things, because we talked earlier about your trio in the eighties mm -hmm. with Ronald Gilfoyle mm -hmm. and John Wadham, and um, the the most gigs I seen you play pro nowadays in mm -hmm. the last five to six mm. years was probably a trio as well yeah and this time with kevin brady yeah kevin uh, and dave redmond yeah. <clears throat> yeah what is it about the trio that is that is what kind of draws you to it and keeps you yeah. keeps you going with it yeah <clears throat> that's a good question i mean i i, I mean i have a trio in france as well but it's an organ trio but uh, the fact that the, the 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 concept of three musicians uh is always interesting i think uh solo i never really took to solo playing um and somebody said that just recently, uh, uh, sorry, I played in, in Galway uh, Jazz Festival last year, and it's the first time I was asked to play a solo, <laughs> which I did uh, with great reluctancy and difficulty, and I found, because I, I was never, I, I somehow I've never took to that, okay? Duels I could take, you know, I didn't mind doing a couple of duels, and I say one of the great duos I've worked with, as I say, is Norman Winston. Well, that, that's, that's a singer, but that's, that's an amazing duo, okay? The trio for me was always, uh, I love the concept of a, a three-way example of improvisation in terms of how you could um, just have enough um, <clears throat> in terms of like the outer structure, inner structure working together. What I mean by that, maybe if it's, if it's like a concept of a theme, you know, and different ways of playing it. Now, the in jazz, I suppose, basically a guitar trio uh, you're thinking of all the great trios. Yeah. I'm writing something this at the moment, I know. I mean, if you take a rock trio like the great Cream and Hendrix and all those people, um, basically they're still improvising. I thought that was a great line. Jack Bruce said, to, well, Ginger and I, uh, we never told Eric that we're really a rock, uh, a jazz group, you know, <laughs> and we just kept improvising. And in many ways, Hendrix improvised, you know, he would decide. So, I mean, I think, and, and I was used to getting our, I was used to hearing a lot of uh, guitar trio, and I was always listening to the Bill Evans trio. And tri it was all seemed to be trios was what I, I wanted to do, and I think maybe I'm still, you know, Abercrombie trio, the Gateway, and all that, and, and Pat Metheny, that early stuff of Pat Metheny. It was a trio, you know, and I think the, the fact is, it's it's you you have to create harmonically as well. That's the guitar from the front part. Then the bass is a single line. You know, so which means that you can play play with that as well. You know, and the drummer can suggest all sorts of uh, colors behind that. So it's while it is more difficult a trio in terms of creating uh, um, interesting lines as opposed to a quartet with you've got piano playing chords behind you, it's more challenging. And I always I try to always write 
raised to arise to that sort of challenge in terms of like um, it works or it doesn't work or you know and I, I like that one you know quartets I always find the playing in a quartet I, I find it very very much I'm, I'm not the same guitar I'm not the, I don't play the same way <laughs> and I'm, in duets I play I, I probably kind of more busy in playing duets or, or I try to uh, because you know it's only two instruments or whatever you know so I think a trio gives me a little bit scope at the same time you know uh, just uh, interesting ways of dealing with it, you know, in terms of colours, yeah, you know. And the ones I did with Lou Ronan were more rhythmic. The ones I used with Kevin and Dave kind of a little bit more open. The French one, even with organ, it, it's still a, a different kind of opening way of harmonic. Not necessarily one, just using colours, because Christophe Laverne plays a lot of, like, he used bells and he uses all sorts of things like that. And um, so you're trying to experiment to see if it works or not, you know. Um, I don't know if you, that makes sense to you. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Okay. Two, only two more questions, mm -hmm. um, and then we're pretty much there. One is about, you mentioned it earlier very briefly, you mentioned um, you were teaching uh, English literature. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of still a theme. When I was on your website, there is like essays published. Mm. One was like uh, Adorno's view oh, on, yeah. on jazz in yeah, 48 yeah. or 49. Yeah, yeah. And he wasn't a big fan. No, <laughs> he wasn't, no, no. Um, because he felt it was, if I understood it correctly, he felt it was stuck. In yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was perennial fashion. It joined up with the fashion of the day. Maybe because the all he heard was that lump, 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 and four, four time. You know, it was just uh, the, well, you know, that thirties and forties. He was in that kind of jazz. I just happened to say in that, uh, I said at the end, maybe if he listened to some of the stuff that the jazz is happening today, he might have been a little bit more sensitive to the cause. <laughs> you know, yeah. However, he was a great critic. Yeah, I, mean, I loved it. I wrote a thing on when I was studying mines. Yeah, I did. I did Marx's literary criticism of contemporary works like Joyce and people like that back then. I got, in, got, to, I got into more um, Adorno's books and, you know, philosophy of modern music, things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I also wrote. You know things like in my on Shakespeare stuff like that as well. I did a little on on jazz, and the as a result of that, the my I suppose the thing I did on Camus as well. I reckon that was that was based on my readings, yeah. And literary I, aspects. How did that passion of you start up when you were younger? I probably from the seminary. You know, I, I readings from there at that time. You know. Uh, I used to read uh, beside all the stuff you're supposed to read, <laughs> all the literature of, uh, you know, like Joyce and all that. At the same time, doing theology, what I'm supposed to do, and philosophy. Philosophy, you know, Nietzsche, Frederick Nietzsche, all these people, you know, you um, trying to look at. And I suppose in the French as well, you get ideas about, you know, what do you think? Like, I don't know, okay. So, um, and that could become a literary form, it could be just uh, philosophical, you know, like a uh, treatise. Or things like that, and then poetry as well. So the, I think if you are, um, you know, there, there people say that. Where do you draw your influence from? People say, oh, I, I paint, uh, like uh, Danny Humer, a famous French French drummer, you know, or I, I get it from uh, just listening to other music. Sometimes for me, it, it comes from literature, you know, or it comes from writings, you know, ideas. Yeah. So that's always been there for a while, you know. That's and the last question is always I ask something for, for people who watch that sometimes because a lot of young guitarists watch mm. watch watch that online um, and I, I don't know if that was in your generation the same kind of part but sometimes I, I know in my generation of jazz guitarists people are not obsessed with gear like with guitars and amps but it's a huge part of the thing and and like custom built arch yeah. types are, are a thing for a lot of money yeah. and, and uh, it's nothing wrong with it it's beautiful mm. instruments beautiful guitars I always felt you had a very, very simplistic approach, though. Mm. I think most of the times I've seen you with a Gibson 
365, yeah. yeah. Is there any reason why you stuck to one guitar for a long time and had this? Um, it, it, no, I like that guitar. Uh, it's, it's very economical guitar. You can play fusion well on and jazz, you know. Um, and the arch top, I always found, had one particular sound, you know. Uh, I had an old 175, you know. I found that when I was changing a bit, when I went away, you know, I needed uh, a different... I used heavier gauge strings, and that's what you did then, you know. So I, I thought for lighter gauge strings and the whole just opening up, I got the 365 for that purpose, you know, okay. I'm very happy with that. I mean, if I have to play acoustic stuff, I just use that. That's great. I mean, I think at the end of the day, you could experiment, and it mostly comes from the amp. So, and this is the amp I'm using, and it's the best. It's the old uh, boss, because there's so much on it. You, have, you know, I get fed up trying to uh, use pedals. I saw the worst example of that when Bill Frizzell played the first time in Ireland, he had his pedal up on a stool like that and he was playing and he kept pressing them but it wasn't working. So I thought, you know, sometimes it's on the ground, it's easier to control and all that. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of guitar players use pedals. Um, I love it when the pedals are, are at least the sounds you want are on the amp where you can just go or program it on, that, that, that's handy. So it's just a means to an end, you know. Uh, a simplistic approach, uh, I think it's more, I'm um, just, you get a sound that you're happy with. Um, and then you just uh, live with that, and you try to play accordingly, or at least you, 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 and you, and you. I think the sound, and once it's there, and you're happy with that sound, um, all the stuff that you write, you know, comes from that that sound in your head. You know that. I think a lot of students experiment because there's so much stuff out there they haven't settled, and that is the truth. There are more things, more examples of different sounds, you know. I want to sound this, to this my guitar sound like a jet airplane, fair enough. Or I want to make sound like, you know, whatever. You know. Um, <clears throat> and that's got away from that dry sound that young guitar players hate when they hear people like, you know, maybe Lou or Tal Farlow or Joe Pass. It's a very dry, you know, it's just the one sound all the time, you know. And they say, why not use the technology, technology that's available for it? Okay, why not? Yeah. Um, but I think if you haven't got, I mean, I think we oh we can still talk about an Abercrombie sound sometimes. We can talk about a Pat Metheny sound, you know. So it is there in terms of guitar players still have a sound or Bill Frisell sound, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think then I my sound is just I think very simple and straightforward. <laughs> my sound. <laughs> okay, perfect. I think that's that's it from my side. Um, mm -hmm. Thank you so much okay. uh, for taking Pleasure. the time. It was yeah. great. And now we play a tune and that's Okay, very fine. Yeah, Thank okay. You very much, yeah, okay. Pleasure. <clears throat> the tune? Yeah. Uh, maybe you mentioned the Days of Wine and Roses. Yes. Wanna play that? Want, yeah, sure. Cool. <clears throat> uh, I bring it in? Yep. Uh, oh no, you bring it in. You bring, yeah. it's your video, you bring it in. You bring it in.
Perfect. Thank you very much, Tommy. Yeah, that pleasure. Was great. Uh, that was great. Okay. Thank you.